0: Acts 1. So the book of Acts, in short, it is the story of the early church. Um, I titled the message this morning that the church is not an institution. Uh, One of the things that we run into so often, especially when we're out evangelizing or just engaging with different people, is a lot of people will come at you with this mentality. They're like, well, I'm not about organized religion. You know, I'm not about the religious institution, and I think that's great because we're not about it either. (laughs) You know? And the religious institution, listen, the church is not a religious institution. In fact, the first mention we have of the church, the story of the early church, the first mention we have of them is in Matthew 16, verse 18, and it's when Jesus tells Peter, you remember Peter came to him and said, you know, Jesus asked Peter, he said, Peter, he said, who do people say that I am? And Peter said, well, some say this, some say that. And Jesus said, okay, he said, but what do you think, Peter? Where are you at? And Peter says, well, I think you're Christ, the son of God. And Jesus turns to him and says, he says, Peter, he said, you've said, well, he's like, God revealed this to you. He said, I say to you, he says, you're Peter, he says, and on this rock, speaking of that truth that Jesus is the Son of God, he says, on this rock, I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. And that's the first mention of the church in the Bible. Is when Jesus says, on this rock, I'm going to build my church. That's the first mention of church. And again, often we can think of church, and we can think of church as a building, as a place we go. We can think of it as an organization, right? We can think of it as organized religion or as an institution. And we can think of church in all of those aspects. But according to the Bible, that's not a church at all. That's not the church at all. The church is a gathering of people. It's a group of people. When Jesus said, on this rock, I will build my church, that word for church, it has nothing to do with a building. It has nothing to do with a meeting place. It has everything to do. It's ecclesia, and it means people. It means a group, a gathering, an assembly of people. People. And what makes you a part of this group is not where you go or if you're a member or not. What makes you part of this group is what Paul said in 1 Corinthians 12 when he said this. He said, for as the body is one and it has many members, but all members um, of that one body being many are one body. So also is Christ. He says, for by the spirit we were baptized into one body whether Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, and have all been made to drink into one spirit. For in fact, the body is not one member, but many. And he's talking about how the body, the church, it's a group of people and it has many members. It's made up of different people, but it's like a body. And what makes us part of that body is being in Christ. We talked about this when you're in christ that makes you part of the body it makes you part of the church it makes you part of that group of people that god has a special purpose and a plan for and he promises to take this church and build it how he wants and into what he wants not only that but god has a desire for the church and his desire for the church is very simple it's found in his words to the disciples and we call it the great commission right the great commission and jesus as he was getting ready to leave he said this to the disciples he said in matthew 28 verse 18 and 20 it says and jesus came and spoke to them saying all authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth go therefore and make disciples of all nations baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Amen. And I love that so much because Jesus' purpose for the church, his desire for the church, his heart for the church, his heart for you, his heart for me is that we would what? That we would go and that we would make more disciples that we would go and that we would multiply. That we would go and that we would multiply. See, the church is a group of people that have been born again by the spirit that's different from the world. And again, his desire is for them to go and make more disciples. Why? Because God loved the world and he wants more people to experience salvation. Then that's not popular today. Today the mentality is: is you can be Christian but keep it to yourself. Then you can believe whatever you want to believe, you can live however you want to live, but keep it to yourself. And yet Jesus said, "Go and make more of you. (laughs) Go and go and multiply. Go and be fruitful. Go and make disciples." See, the world doesn't want the church growing. Our culture doesn't want the church growing. There is more pressure than ever before on the church to remain silent. But I love it so much because in Acts, you see the story of what happens when people man, get serious about the Great Commission. And get serious about God and make themselves available to God. You know, it's interesting how it works. Sometimes we can be afraid to get serious with God because we think, well, what's God going to make us do? And I don't know if I'm going to want that. I don't know if I'm going to be happy with that. But it's funny because when you give your life to God, it ends up working out in such a way that you end up loving what you do. You end up finding so much joy and so much fulfillment and so much purpose and the background of the book of Acts, very simply, it was written by Luke about thirty years after the resurrection of Christ. And Luke, what <clears throat> well, we believe he was a doctor, because some of the words he would use uh, in here, he when he when he's writing his gospel, some of the words is like a medical terms that he would use, and so we believe that one of the reasons he was a, that's one of the reasons why we believe that Luke was a doctor, and it was. This book, the book of Acts and the gospel of Luke were both written by Luke. Luke was a traveling companion of Paul. We see that halfway through the book of Acts, the book of Acts, it starts by talking about the church. And then you see him start to say, we, 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 we. And it's because he joined Paul's travel party at that time. Uh, Many people think that because Paul was sick and battling some physical things, like many of us, that he had Dr. Luke there kind of taking care of him. And see, Acts, another interesting fact about it, too, is Acts is not a detailed historical record. Sometimes you read it and you're like, well, what happened to this guy? Like, he was mentioned here, and then it wasn't mentioned anymore. It's not a detailed, it's more like a highlight reel. And it follows some of the key people, the key events in the early church. And the idea is, again, to show four different things. The birth of the church, the rise of the church, the expansion of the church, and the challenges of the church. Some people think that because Paul would stand on trial, some people think that the book of Acts was actually his defense for the gospel, to be able to prove his case that Christianity isn't isn't crazy. some people think that the book of Acts was that. And it was written, he says in verse one, he says it was written to Theophilus. And Theophilus, we know that word means lover of God. It could have been that Luke was writing to uh, just anybody who loved God. He just writes and he says, oh, Theophilus. And it's just a nickname. It could have been that He was writing to maybe someone and he used Theophilus as a name to kind of cover for them so their identity wouldn't be known. It's possible that Theophilus was a high government official. In the Gospel of Luke, he refers to him as the most excellent Theophilus, which they would only use if it was like a a position of honor that that person had. There's an interesting tradition, and we don't know if it's true or not, but it says that Luke was actually uh, Theophilus' slave. And many people think because in that time doctors were slaves. One of the traditions that uh, people have kind of tossed around as a possibility is that Luke was Theophilus' slave and Theophilus was close to dying. And Luke took care of him and nursed him back to health and showed him so much love as a Christian that Theophilus became a believer and ended up setting Luke free. And in return, Luke is writing to him and he's telling him and presenting the gospel of Christ. Another tradition that exists is that it was possible that Luke was more of like a historian in Theophilus. Because sometimes if you were wealthy in that era, if you were wealthy in that time, you would have someone document a history for you. It would be like if me or you, if we hired someone to say, hey, I want you to go and I want you to create a document that's the story of our family history. So that way it can be preserved and it's possible that they did that. We don't really know, but one thing is for sure. Luke is very detailed and he reports firsthand what he saw and what happened. He was very close in that inner circle. And the book of Acts, again, covering the rise of the church, the birth of the church, the expansion of the church and the challenges of the church. And so as we get into Acts chapter one, go ahead and follow along with me. Notice what he says. It says, The former account I made, O Theophilus, of all that Jesus began both to do and to teach, until the day in which he was taken up, after he through the Holy Spirit had given commandments to the apostles whom he chosen, to whom he also presented himself alive. After his suffering by many infallible proofs, being seen by them during the 40 days and speaking of the things pertaining to the kingdom of God. So he's referencing Luke here is referencing his original um, his original gospel which is the gospel of luke which is kind of the first part of this and then that's when he says the former account i made was everything jesus began to do and to teach and then now he gets into the book of acts and then in verse four he says in being assembled together with them he commanded them not to depart from jerusalem but to wait for the promise of the father which he said you have heard from me For John truly baptized with water, but you shall be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. Very, very interesting. So you see here that Luke now is talking about Jesus. And we kind of went in depth on this passage, so we're not going to spend a whole lot of time on it. But you see that he talks about how when he was assembled together, how Jesus was assembled and he told them, he said, Don't go fulfill the Great Commission yet. Don't leave Jerusalem. In fact, stay put in Jerusalem and wait for the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And we talked about it. It's because God wanted the church to be empowered. Man, the great commission, that ability to go into all the world and preach the gospel, it requires what? It requires a great empowering. It requires us to be filled with the power of the Holy Spirit. And I love that so much. Because God never asks us to do something that he doesn't empower us to do. And we see here that uh, he told them to wait for the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And then he compares it to water baptism. Verse 5, he says, For John truly baptized with water, but you shall be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days. Now, Now, it's interesting that he talks about water baptism. So water baptism is an outward symbol of an inward work, right? You go into the pool, and if you have a lot of sins, you go into the pool for a few seconds longer, right? But water baptism, it's an outward symbol of an inward work. It's a picture that when you go into the water, you're dying to your old life. Your old life is being buried, and when you come out of the water, that you're now walking in the newness of life. And it's this symbol of what it means to have that encounter with Christ where Christ changes your life and that old man is dead and now you have newness of life. You know, I keep thinking of all of the miracles in the Bible and many of them came to Jesus with different things. And it's interesting because there's a story of the paralytic man and the paralytic man came to Jesus and he said, Jesus, he said, listen, he said, I, he, his friends brought him because he was paralyzed and they said, Jesus, they said, can you heal him? And Jesus looked at him and he said, "He said, son. He said, your sins are forgiven you." And they're all looking at him like, "What do you like?" He doesn't need his sins for he needs legs. And Jesus said, "I'm going to get to that too, but before any of that, he doesn't need new legs. What he needs is new life. What he needs is new life, and that is what Jesus does for us. That is new life. It's new life." And water baptism, listen, it's that outward symbol of an inward work. And Romans 6 describes it like this. It says, Or do you not know that as many of us as were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? Therefore we were buried with him through baptism into death. That just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we should walk in newness of life. For if we have been united together in the likeness of his death, certainly we shall also be in the likeness of his resurrection, knowing this, that our old man was crucified with him, that the body of sin might be done away with. It's so beautiful. He says that we should no longer be slaves of sin and that we don't have to be controlled by sin anymore, that we don't have to be a slave to it. It's so hard when we struggle with sin because many times you can feel just bound by it. You can feel like you're a slave to it. You're like, oh, no, I'm getting free. and No, it's just it's bringing me back. And God came to set us free. And when you and me, when we get baptized, what we're doing is we're demonstrating to the world that we've made that decision to identify with Christ and that our old life, is done, and now we're walking in the newness of life. That's what baptism is. We're telling the whole world, we're saying, I become a Christian, and I want my old life to be buried, and I want to now walk in the newness of life. That is to identify with his death and with his resurrection. See, it's not just identifying with the death of Christ. It's not just death to the old life. It's walking in the newness of life. Man, the Bible says that he makes all things new, that we're a new creation. And I think many times we look at that and and we forget it's not just getting rid of the things we struggle with. It's not just getting rid of the old life. It's not just severing all those ties. Man, it's walking in the newness of life. The Bible says put on that new man that's created in righteousness and in holiness and in peace. And all of the fruit of the Spirit that God wants to that God wants to bring into our lives, listen, that's walking in the newness of life. It's walking in the newness of life. When we go into the water, it's that symbol. But what's so important is newness of life doesn't come through baptism, it comes through Christ. Baptism is that symbol, but listen, newness of life. Comes through Christ. And when you're baptized and you're baptized in water, it's a legit immersion, right? You go into the water and there you come out and you are drenched. And when Jesus is talking about water baptism, he says, John baptized with water. He said, John dunked you in water. He said, but what? He said, but you shall be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now in the same way that when you're baptized with water you're straight dunked (laughs) you know it's that same thing listen and and I I hope I'm not going to mince words here but it's that same idea that God wants us to be dunked with the spirit and God wants us to be immersed with the spirit overwhelmed by the Holy Spirit Not just a dip your toes in the Holy Spirit experience, but really a a baptism of the Holy Spirit. That's why it uses that term. It's a baptism of the Holy Spirit, not just like, okay, I'm going to dip my toes in the water of the Holy Spirit. I got a little bit wet. You know, now I'm good. No, it's just all in. Kind of like a swimming pool, right? How many of you guys, have you guys ever been thrown in a pool? Yeah? No? Yeah? Right? We've all been thrown in a pool at some point in our lives. Right? Someone came and pushed you and then ran. (laughs) <laughs> before you can push them in or if you got them right they went to push you in and what did you do you grabbed them and pulled them in with you but when you go in a pool and you get out of the pool and you I mean you've just been thrown in you're dunked right you get out of the pool and you're dripping water you are dunked you are drenched with water It's that same idea. That's how God wants us to be with the baptism of the Holy Spirit. He wants us to be just drenched, and immersed with the Holy Spirit. The baptism of the Holy Spirit is exactly like that. But instead of water, it's with the Holy Spirit. It's to be baptized with the Holy Spirit. And what are the effects of being baptized with the Holy Spirit? Notice what happens next. He says this in verse 6. He says, therefore, when they had come together, they asked him, saying, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? And he said to them, it is not for you to know the times or the seasons which the father has put in his own authority. I mean, here Jesus is just laying it out. He's like, guys, he's like, don't leave yet. Wait for the power of the Holy Spirit. And they're like, um, okay, Holy Spirit thing is cool, but you know, when are you gonna set up your kingdom? You know, the, the, that's what we're waiting for, Lord. Like, this Holy Spirit's cool, but we want the kingdom. And Jesus is like, it's not for you to know the times or the seasons. And then He says this, verse eight. He says, "But you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you shall be witnesses to me in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth." Listen the holy spirit and the baptism of the holy spirit that immersion in the holy spirit that being dunked that being drenched that baptism of the holy spirit listen it gives you the power to do mighty works for god it's interesting because when you look at that word for power there it's used it's used over 120 times in the bible And as you look at the different ways it's used, it's actually most often used when you talk about miracles or when you talk about uh, mighty works or when you talk about wonders. It's a it's not just like power, like a little bit of energy to power your phone. It's like a miraculous event. It's a mighty work. And I think it's interesting because many times we can separate the works of Jesus and the works of the church. And we can almost think like there should be a drop off, right? We look at what Jesus did and we look at what the apostles did. And then we look at the church today and we're like, well, that's how it should be. You know, it shouldn't be the same like how it was. And there's some churches that actually believe that uh, a majority of the work of the spirit ended, that the gifts of the spirit aren't to be operated today. Um, They're called cessationists. But when you look at it and you see and you study Jesus's life and you see that the works that Jesus do, Jesus did not want there to be a drop off between what he did and what the church did. He didn't want there to be a drop off between what he did and what that group of people that would be called by his name did. He didn't want there to be any drop off. Notice what he says. He says this. In John 14, 12, this is Jesus talking to his disciples and he says, most assuredly, I say to you, he who believes in me, the works that I do, he will do also. And listen to this and greater works than these will he do because I go to my father. Think about that. Jesus is looking at his disciples and he's saying, listen, he's saying, you're seeing me do all of these miracles and wonders and all things. Listen, you're going to do these too, but not just that, you're going to do greater things. He said, you're going to do greater things. See, Jesus didn't have his, Jesus was not a cessationist. Jesus didn't have it in his mind that the work, the mighty works of God would stop with him. He had it in his mind that the church would continue that mission. He had it in his mind that the church would continue his mission. And when you look at the book of Acts, it's interesting because you see that it's the story of the church doing what? It's the story of the church doing the works that Jesus did and greater works. And I love it so much because when Jesus talked about pouring out the spirit, it wasn't for a special group of people. In the Old Testament, you and me, we would see examples of that. Samson, right? The Holy Spirit came upon Samson, but the Holy Spirit didn't come upon a lot of other people in the Old Testament. The Holy Spirit came upon Gideon. The Holy Spirit came upon David. But it wasn't for the church. But the church, Jesus said, hey, he said, I'm going to pour out my spirit on the church. The spirit is going to be for everybody. Everybody. And Acts is the story of the church doing the works of Jesus and doing greater works. One of the most amazing things about the book of Acts is the book of Acts has no formal ending. Did you know that? As you read through the Acts, it's almost like it stops mid-story. A lot of people think that the reason why it it does that, that the reason why it stops mid-story is because God desires the work of Acts to continue. It's not a closed record. It's not a this is what happened then. It's this is what happened then. But listen, it's also what God wants to do now. It's what God wants to do now. And I love it because not every mighty work is a miraculous healing. Not every mighty work is a miracle. Not every mighty work that God wants to do is turning water to wine. Paul said in 1 Corinthians 12, he said, do all have the gift of healings?" He said, is everyone here? No, he says, no. He says, he says, what? He says, the Holy Spirit gives gifts different to different people as he wants. Some have the gift of healing, some have the gift of prophecy, some have the gift of interpretation of tongues. tongues. He says, there's all these different gifts. Listen, mighty works, not every mighty work is a healing or a miracle. The mighty works that God wants to do, it's not just miracles and signs and wonders. Man, God wants to do mighty works with us in our jobs. But listen, the miracles that God wants to do, those mighty works, God wants to do mighty works with us in our families. Man, God wants to do mighty works with us in our jobs. God wants to do mighty works with us in our cities. Man, God wants to do great things through us, That was his intention. And I love it so much because it's not just for special people. Listen, it's for the church. Man, that power of the Holy Spirit, that power to do mighty works for God. Listen, it was given to the church. It was given to everybody. It wasn't just for a small group of people. It wasn't just for the apostles in the same way that they did great things in the same way Jesus did mighty works. Listen, God wants to use me and you to do mighty works for him. He wants to use us to do mighty works for him. And if you want to be used by God greatly, listen, pursue the power of the Holy Spirit. And it's so simple. Jesus said what? He said, wait, And you'll receive power when you get that baptism of the Holy Spirit. You're going to receive power, and it's that power to do mighty works. And I think many times we want to do great things from God, and so we go to to seminary, or we go, and we're like, well, if I can just learn from this person, well, if I can just go and do this, if I can just go to this school, and if I can just take this class, and those are all great, but listen, the power of the Holy Spirit is the power to do... Mighty works for God. How many people when it comes to the mighty works of God, they're like, I want to do great things for God, so I'm going to go to school. And it's like, it's like, you're not going to learn that from school. Why? Because where does the power, where does the ability to do mighty works come from? Where does it come from? The baptism of the Holy Spirit. That's given to just special people, or that's given to who? given to everybody everybody who wants it can have it it's the baptism of the holy spirit see the mighty works of god they're done by people who have been baptized by the holy spirit And it's the mighty works of god and i think listen if you feel like your works like the works you're doing have no impact, like there's no power, listen, seek the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And if you feel like, man, I'm not having an impact for God where I'm at, seek the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Now, you want to be used in a greater way, seek the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Why? Because Jesus said, you shall what? Receive power that power to do the mighty works of God, you're going to receive it when the Holy Spirit comes upon you when you're baptized by the Holy Spirit. It's interesting that baptism of the Holy Spirit, the effects of it, it's also ability. and your ability to be used by God greatly, do you know that it has absolutely nothing to do with you? Do you know that? Your ability and my ability to be used by God has nothing to do with us. Your ability to live the Christian life has nothing to do with you. See, many times we think, well, I can't be used by God, or I can't live the Christian life, or I can't get rid of this sin, or I can't let go of these things, or how am I supposed to get through a trial, or how am I supposed to trust God? I just can't, I can't, I can't, I can't, I can't. But listen, Christianity, and this is what makes Christianity so special. This is what makes Christianity so different from every other religion. Other religions say, you do this, they put the burden of work on you. They say, if you do this, God will do this. Christianity says what? It says, do this and know that God is going to give you the ability to do it. See, the baptism of the Holy Spirit, it's ability. It's the enabling. It's the empowering. Jesus told them, he said, don't leave Jerusalem without this. Man, don't go try and serve me without this. Don't go try and be a witness for me without this. He said, you need to wait for the baptism of the Holy Spirit. He said, you need it. Why? Because The baptism of the Holy Spirit, that word power, it's translated in a lot of areas. It's translated ability. It's the ability that you need. See, God provides you with the ability. He's so faithful. And notice what he says, jumping back to verse 8. It says, you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you shall be witnesses to me in Jerusalem in Judea in Samaria and to the end of the earth he says listen he says you're going to be baptized with the Holy Spirit you're going to receive that power to do mighty works you're going to receive the ability that you need to live for me and to be used by me he says I'm going to give you the ability to do that he says and also you're going to be able to have that power to be a witness and to be a witness for Christ to be able to testify of what God has done in your life. See, I think sometimes we put the burden all on ourselves for these things. We're like, man, I have to make, you know, man, I got to make sure when I share, I got to make sure it's powerful. I remember someone asked me to teach one time, and they're like, man, they're like, make sure it's good. <laughs> and they said it jokingly, but I'm thinking of, like, I told them, I said, yeah, that's, you got to ask the Lord, man. Like, I'm just giving what is what it's there, right? make it powerful like what are you talking about it's all through God it's all through God Acts chapter 4 you see it says this and with great power the apostles gave witness to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus and great grace was upon them all then they had that power to be a witness And what does it mean to be a witness is very simple. We don't have to have all of this words and strategy. It's just testifying firsthand. It's actually a legal term. It would be if you had someone in a courtroom and they stood on the witness stand and they said, I saw this happen firsthand with my own eyes. And it's that idea of being an eyewitness. And that's what God desires. Listen, it's that firsthand saying, listen, this is what Jesus has done for me personally. Yeah, I've seen him do it in other people's lives, but this is what he's done for me. It's not a third-hand account. It's a firsthand eyewitness account of what Jesus has done for us. And sometimes that's all you need. You don't have to know the Romans road. You don't have to know all those things. Sometimes it's just very simple. Man. God changed my life. Yeah, I struggle, I'm not perfect, but God has changed my life and he has helped me. Listen, it's that power to be a witness. And then in verse 9 he says, Now when he had spoken these things while they watched, he was taken up and a cloud received him out of sight. And while they looked steadfastly towards heaven as he went up, behold, two men stood by them in white apparel, who also said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand gazing up into heaven? This same Jesus who was taken up from you into heaven will so come in like manner as you saw him go. So Jesus is there, he gives this farewell speech, and then he starts to ascend into heaven and The disciples are probably looking up like, have you guys ever seen a balloon, right? You ever let go of a balloon and you're watching it and you watch it until it disappears? The disciples are looking up and they're like, is that Jesus? No, he's he's gone now. He ascended. He's gone. And these angels appear and they tell the disciples, they say, hey, don't worry. Jesus is coming back in the same way you saw him leave. He's coming back the same way. The second coming of Christ. And then notice what happens next. Verse 12. Then they returned to Jerusalem from the Mount called Olivet, which is near Jerusalem, a Sabbath day's journey. It's about a half a mile from Jerusalem. The Mount of Olives is about a half a mile from Jerusalem. He says, so they returned to Jerusalem, and when they had entered, they went up into the upper room where they were staying. Peter, James, John, Andrew, Philip, Thomas, Bartholomew, Matthew, James, the son of Alphaeus, Simon the Zealot and Judas, son of James. These all continued with one accord in supplication and prayer with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and with his brothers. Listen, one of the most amazing things here is the disciples continued in the faith. Jesus was gone. Jesus was officially gone. Jesus was officially gone Listen, the responsibility of following God was now 100% on them. 100% on them. They didn't have Jesus leading them in person anymore. They didn't have Jesus telling them where to go or what to do. The responsibility of following God was 100% on them. And listen, there's going to be seasons that you and me are going to go through like this. Where there's no one over our shoulders saying, hey, go to church. A lot of Christians struggle when they graduate high school, when they move to college, because they don't have that person in their life anymore that's telling them, go to church, do this, go here, go there. They don't have that, and so they struggle. And there's seasons like that where you and me, where we have to follow God on our own. Where we have to follow God on our own, where you don't have someone in your life that's saying, hey, are you going to church? Where you don't have someone in your life that's pushing you towards God, you have to seek God on your own. And I love it so much because Jesus ascends and the disciples, they do what? They return back to Jerusalem. They gather together. They continued in the faith. They didn't abandon the faith. They continued in what Jesus had taught them. And I love it so much because you see that they obeyed. What was the last thing Jesus told them? Go wait in Jerusalem for the baptism of the Holy Spirit. What did they do? They went, they returned to Jerusalem, and they waited for the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Simple obedience, and I think it's so important, simple obedience will go a long way with God. Simple obedience. Man, this is what the Lord said, so I'm going to go do it. Simple obedience. It was simple. They went back to Jerusalem and they stayed put like Jesus asked. You know, last week when we talked about, uh, no, I'm sorry, two weeks ago when we talked about um, this verse a little more in depth, we talked about how a lot of times when it comes to obedience, we want what God has, but we don't want to do what God says. We want the promises, but we don't want to do what God says. Jesus told them, he said, go to Jerusalem and wait. And tied with that command was what? The promise of the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Obedience went hand in hand with receiving from God. And listen, if we want what God has, listen, we got to be able to do what God says. We got to be willing. There has to be that obedience. And I love it because the disciples didn't try and complicate it. They didn't try and complicate things. They didn't say, well, when Jesus said to return to Jerusalem, did he really need to return to Jerusalem? Or can we go near Jerusalem? Like, do we have to be in Jerusalem? Or can we be right outside Jerusalem, on the outskirts of Jerusalem? They didn't try and complicate. They just simple obedience. And listen, simple obedience will go a long way in our relationship with God. But this is the thing is simple obedience is not always easy obedience. In fact, obedience is rarely easy. There's so many obstacles that we have to overcome when it comes to obedience. There's the worry. There's the fear. One of the biggest obstacles is our will, what we want, right? We're like, I know God is telling me to do this, but I really want to do this. And our will often comes out on top. Now sometimes that obstacle that we have to overcome is the obstacle of commitment. It's the obstacle of committing and saying, God, I'm going to commit to obey you. And we look and we're like, I don't know what this is going to look like, but we have that commitment. We're going to obey you, Lord. Simple obedience is not always easy obedience. And I think this is so important, and we've talked about this, how obedience is easiest when you don't allow things to come between you and God. Man, there's times and things where you will allow something to come between you and God. You allow something to come into your life, and all of a sudden, that simple, you're not just able to just simply obey. It's like God tells you to do something that's like, but God, I don't want to let go of this thing. We can have things that come between us and God. Simple obedience, if we want to receive what God has, listen, we have to be willing to do what God says. It's that simple obedience will go a long way with God. What did the disciples do? Jesus said, return to Jerusalem. They obeyed. And I love it because they did exactly what Jesus had taught them to do. They prayed. Now, Jesus set an amazing example for prayer. The disciples were always looking for him. Whenever they couldn't find him, they knew exactly where to look. They would go to the outskirts of the town, and there would be Jesus praying. Jesus prayed, 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 prayed so much that the disciples went and said, Hey, Jesus, can you teach us how to pray like how you pray? There's something about your prayers, and we want to learn that, Jesus. So can you teach us how to pray? Prayer. They prayed and they waited in verse 14 of Acts 1. They continued with one accord in prayer and supplication. You know, following God is not about all about doing. Sometimes it's just about waiting. Sometimes it's just about waiting. Now, what were they doing here? They were waiting for God to fulfill his promise. That's what they were doing. God gave them a promise that he was going to baptize them with the Spirit. And what were they doing? They were waiting for that promise. They were waiting for God to move. And this is important because what did they do while they were waiting? And what should me and you do while we were waiting? Because some of you are here and you're waiting on a promise from God. Now, there's promises that I've been looking back to, especially recently. And I'm like, Lord, I'm like, you gave me this promise. Why haven't you brought it to pass, Lord? What do I need to do, right? Which is often what we think. We think, well, what do I need to do? And I love it because what did the disciples do? They did three things. They obeyed, they prayed, and they waited. And what should me and you do when we're in seasons, when we're waiting on God, when we're saying, God, you've promised this and you haven't brought it to pass yet. What should we do? Very simple. Obey, pray and wait. Very simple. There are times when God wants us to move and then there are times when God wants us to wait for him to move. And we have to know which is which. Now, there are some situations, and this is why it's so hard for us, is because often we find ourselves, we don't like to just wait. We don't like to have our fate be in someone else's hands, right? It's like, well, like, we want to do something. God, there's this problem. I have a solution, Lord. And God's like, no, wait. And we're like, but, Lord, I can't wait because I have a solution. But there are situations where God does not want us to do anything except obey and pray and wait for him to move. And how long do you wait until he moves? Abraham and Sarah were waiting for a promise, and instead of waiting for God to do it, Sarah came to Abraham one day and said, Abraham, I have this revelation, I had this bright idea. Why don't, right, and you guys know the story, why, she tells Abraham, she says, Abraham, she says, why don't, in order to speed up the process of fulfilling God's promises and plan for our lives, like, why don't you have relations with my, my maidservant, and the baby that you guys have will be the promised child? They tried to bring God's will to pass on their own, and it ended up becoming a problem. And I think many times, listen, we struggle with just waiting, but we have to understand that there are some situations where God doesn't want us to do anything except what? Obey, pray, and wait. They obeyed God very simply. What's the last thing that God has shown you to do? Sometimes you have to do that. You have to go back and say, God, did I obey the last thing you showed me to do? Am I obeying you in the last thing you showed me to do? Sometimes you have to pray. The Bible says we have not because we ask not. The disciples were here, and they were, the Bible says they were praying and supplication. It's petitioning God. It's asking God. They were saying, God, pour out your Holy Spirit. God, baptize us with your Holy Spirit. And then they waited. I love it. They waited. Obey. Pray and wait until God moves. And then notice what happens next in closing. Verse 15, it says, And in those days Peter stood up in the midst of the disciples. Altogether, the number of names was about a hundred and twenty. And he said, Men and brethren, the scripture had to be fulfilled which the Holy Spirit spoke before by the mouth of David concerning Judas, who became a guide to those who arrested Jesus. For he was numbered with us and obtained a part in this ministry. Now this man purchased a field with the wages of iniquity and falling headlong. He burst open in the middle and all his entrails gushed out. A little bit gory scene there. And it became known to all those dwelling in Jerusalem that the field is called in their own language, Akel that is the field of blood. For it is written in the book of Psalms, Let his dwelling place be desolate, and let no one live in it, and let another take his office. Therefore, of these men who accompanied us all the time that the Lord Jesus went in among us, beginning from the baptism of John to that day when he was taken up from us, one must become a witness with us of his resurrection. And they proposed to Joseph called Barsabas. Who's surnamed Justice and Matthias. And they prayed and said, You, O Lord, know the hearts of all. Show which of these two you have chosen to take part in the ministry and apostleship from excuse me, from which Judas by transgression fell, fell that he might go to his own place. And they cast lots, and the lot fell on Matthias, and he was numbered with the eleven. Apostles. Now, a lot of people think Peter was making a mistake here, right? God told them very simple, go and wait for the power of the Holy Spirit. And what does Peter do? He does what many of us do. He gets a little impatient. He's like, well, we got to do something. Why don't we fill this empty position? Jesus, right, he chose the 12, and we know Judas betrayed the Lord, ended up committing suicide, ended up dying. And Peter said, well, we're 11 now. We're a man short. We got to do something. We got to fill this position. So they chose two men that had been with them since the beginning that had been witnesses to the resurrection. And they said, Lord, they said, choose between these two, which one you want to take Judas's place. And they cast lots. What they would do at that time, um, different people would cast lots different ways. But when it was a position like this, they would take a jar and they would write each person's name on a stone and they would put those names in the jar and they would shake it. And whichever one came out first, they would trust that that was who the Lord wanted for that position. That's how they would fulfill the different temple positions and things of that nature. So they did that, and it fell on Matthias, and not a bad thing, not a bad thing. We don't know much about Matthias. When you look at him, tradition says that he took the gospel to Armenia, that he evangelized Armenia. Um, he was a missionary there. He was martyred in Jerusalem. Those are the most common um, things that we, most people agree on what his life, outside of that, we don't know anything else about Matthias. Many people believe that Peter jumped the gun here. Paul says when he was talking about the apostles, he said, and he referred to himself as an apostle who was what? Born out of due time. And many people believe that Paul was that kind of 12th apostle. Like I said, we don't know for sure. It's not our place to sit there and try and speculate. But I do think there's a couple things worth noting here. And one is the danger of getting ahead of God. And Jesus said very simply what? Go to Jerusalem and do what? Wait for the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Once the baptism of the Holy Spirit came, you see over and over, it says that the Holy Spirit led them, the Holy Spirit moved them, the Holy Spirit spoke, the Holy Spirit was guiding and directing the actions of the church. You don't ever see them cast lots again to fill a position. The Holy Spirit took the reins and began to work and to move. And I think sometimes I think we can get ahead of God. We know, we're like, man, God showed me to, to stay put and. So I'm going to stay put, but I'm also going to do this, (laughs) Lord. I'm going to try and bring the, you know, we got to do something. we got to be proactive. And yet sometimes the reality is, is there are seasons like what we just talked about where God doesn't want you to do anything except obey and pray and wait for him to move. And obey and pray and wait for him to move. But I think there's also another lesson that's so beautiful here, and it's what? It's that God works sometimes through mistakes. We don't know if Matthias was God's choice for that or not. You know, like I said, it's not our place to speculate, but we do know that God worked through Matthias. We know Matthias was given a tremendous opportunity. We do know that the work wasn't hindered. We know that God blessed the work. It certainly didn't hurt having a 12th apostle there. And sometimes God works through those things. But it all comes back to the Lord. And I just want to encourage us with that this morning, just the importance of simple obedience. Sometimes God wants you and me to do nothing except wait and obey and pray.